Hello, and thanks for downloading. I'm Ancient Blogger, and if you've been following this series of podcasts, you might know what to expect. If you don't, then allow me to quickly explain. Currently, the BBC is showing a series called Troy, Fall of a City, and each week I've been picking out elements from it and unwrapping them a little. It's not a review of each episode per se, though obviously I have to make reference to it. It's more of a, this is what I found interesting, or this is an aspect I thought was worth discussing a bit more. I usually follow each episode live on the Twitter hashtag TroyFallOfACity with my Twitter account at AncientBlogger, just in case you haven't guessed. I've also got a website, AncientBlogger.com, with all sorts of ancient history content on it. With the introductions done, we can look at the episode, which was the fifth one, and the podcast, which I've titled Uncle Owen, Aunt Beru. If you haven't seen the episode, it refers to a scene involving Paris in a way mimicking that Luke Skywalker scene where he stumbles across the charred remains of his, well, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. But back to the episode. It involved Paris being on the run a fair bit. Fortunately, I was able to identify three areas I'm going to talk about. And these are child exposure, the Achilles paradox, and the original Lover's Leap, inspired, I should say, by the final scene. Right, I'm going to take a swig of tea, so I'll be back in a couple of seconds. First up is the topic of infanticide, or more specifically, the exposure of infants. Episode 5, a big reveal, involved Paris's experience of this. If you're familiar with the myth, Priam was warned by a prophecy that Paris would bring calamity upon the city, so he instructed a herdsman to leave his baby on a mountainside. The herdsman couldn't bring himself to do this and brought him up as his own. For any fans of Greek myth, this sort of thing is quite commonplace. Oedipus, Atalanta, Ion and Perseus were abandoned, with the idea being that they'd perish, only to end up coming good, though perhaps not so much the case with Oedipus. This trope wasn't restricted to Greek myth. Romulus and Remus, Moses and even Cyrus the Great had similar experiences where postnatal bordered on the fatal. The nature and extent to which this occurred is best left for another time. Certainly it's a complex topic, as we lack the evidence to really build a clear picture. Arguments for its practice fall into two main categories, poverty and sickness. In the case of poverty, it might have been that the extra mouth simply couldn't be accommodated. There's a division within this between male and female, as women required dowries, and it's been argued that female infants were less desirable because of this. You could also make the case for a male, as a son would have to inherit as well. Too many sons could lead to a crisis in no one really getting anything. The second reason, illness might mean deformity or a genuinely sick child who may not have survived even if nursed. Scholars debate the extent to which this happened. Was it really a common thing or simply reserved for the most extreme situations? We can't really know. However, it wasn't just the Greeks who had their accounts of it. Take the story of Gaius Melissus, as reported by Suetonius. Here was a chap who was exposed as a child and reared by the family who discovered him. Gaius rose to a position of seniority gaining the favour of Augustus and even working in a library for him. It's quite a good story, very uplifting, particularly given what we've just discussed. It's a literal rags to riches, and perhaps this is the driver for this sort of story being so common in myth. It's just that, a really good story, a really good narrative. I also wonder 
if there isn't some sort of wider reason, perhaps a more subtle one. Let's imagine that the exposure of children was a common practice. Parents who made the decision, even those who felt somehow justified, may, may well have still felt a lot of distress over it. Myths, therefore, where this child survives, might have offered that small measure of comfort. We'll take our leave of mortality now and consider morality, but worry not, it's a lot cheerier, and we even have a Mean Girls reference. Last night's episode gave us Achilles, who sought redress from Agamemnon in the form of return of Briseis. In this way, it's a simple situation, a simple equation as it was. Return her, and I'm back in. I mentioned in last week's podcast that in the Iliad, the situation is far more complex. A few years ago, I came across an article by Melissa Muller, titled The Language of Reciprocity in Euripides Medea, which is in the American Journal of Philology, volume 122, number 4, 2001. The article focuses, as you might imagine, on how language used between characters indicates their status, and it mainly focuses on Jason and Medea. However, the situation between Achilles and Agamemnon is also referenced, specifically how the relationship between the two has changed following the actions of Agamemnon in taking Briseis from Achilles. As I mentioned last week, the motivation for Agamemnon doing this was so he could be seen to have not been diminished in front of his men after he had had to give Chryseis back. And this sits within what we might understand as the heroic code. In the Iliad, recompense to the loss of Briseis is offered to Achilles, yet he states that no amount of gifts could win him over. As Muller argues, this isn't because gifts are worthless or necessarily that Achilles loves Briseis. It's more to the loss of status Agamemnon has occurred from this action from Achilles' perspective. Gift exchange was a nuanced and sensitive issue. It was as much about who you were as what you were offering. There was also the consequence of accepting gifts. Achilles can no longer see Agamemnon as an equal after his actions. To quote Muller, Achilles rejects the gifts offered on the grounds that these gifts did not properly acknowledge their own construction of their social status. In short, by accepting the gifts, Achilles would be acknowledging that Agamemnon was his equal and that these somehow made up the insult done to him. The Catch-22 situation is that the insult has made Agamemnon unequal in his eyes and as a result, Agamemnon is not capable of offering recompense because he doesn't occupy that social position, namely that of an equal to Achilles, anymore. In fact, the gifts make it worse as Achilles perceives them as somehow perverting their relationship by cementing an unequal relationship. Now, if you're thinking this all sounds a bit mean, girls, you aren't far wrong. Achilles certainly can't sit with us. The Greeks are hanging out on our, well, sort of North Shore, and three influential women were involved from the beginning of it all. In fact, one of the plastics made a brief appearance at the end in a sort of cliffhanger, which became a cliff jumper. Paris, after having his Uncle Owen Aunt Brew Tatooine moment, decides to jump from a cliff, and recently I put up an article for Valentine's Day all about the lover's leap, which existed in antiquity as a way of curing unrequited love, and which was closely associated with Aphrodite. The place was known as the White Cliff, and this is located on the island of Lefkada. According to myth, Aphrodite first jumped off it and into the sea to cure herself of the grief she had for Adonis, the Greek god of Facebook. This was at Apollo's suggestion, who then had a temple built for him, located on the site, and nowadays is a lighthouse, which contrastingly aims to stop possible calamities occurring there. And calamity certainly ensued. One account has Sappho jumping to her death from this spot, and we have other accounts of those heartbroken types jumping and hoping to cure themselves of a broken heart. At worst, it cured them of being alive, whilst the best got away with the sorts of injuries associated with highly unsafe 
diving practices. Later on, Strybo reported that criminals were hurled off the cliff. If they survived, then they were picked up by boat and escorted to the border and exiled. If you're interested and want to read more on, quite frankly, why wouldn't you, the article is on my website, ancientblogger.com. That's the three main areas I wanted to look at, but there were a couple of other points I noted in the episode. The first was the horse stealing. This is referenced, albeit in a different way. In Book 10 of the Iliad, it follows the famous nighttime raid involving Odysseus and Diomedes, and during it, they managed to free a number of horses. Not quite to the extent we see on the episode, but still there. There was also the reference to the number of Myrmidons. In the episode, 500 were given as a number, and in the Iliad, it was 50 ships or 50 men. You might remember that from last week's podcast. This is just my thinking. that It was a smaller number because BBC's show tends to be a bit smaller scale. And it's one of the criticisms that it picked up. There aren't those huge, large-scale battles. Perhaps 500, if they'd said 2,500, there might have been a few gasps in the audience of people saying, well, where are these exactly? Because we never see more than sort of 10 people any time, and the battle scenes are hardly that engaging. Even if there are only 500 Myrmidons, all Troy needed was a few large anteaters. If you listened to my podcast last week, you'll understand that joke. You might not find it funny, though. Now, I normally spend Sunday and Monday writing and researching each podcast. Shocking, I know. I actually research and write this. Who'd have thought it? But this weekend, I'll be at a beer festival. So this will cover any weird tweets you might see Saturday afternoon. The knock-on is that I'll probably not get a chance to do anything till Monday or Tuesday. So this podcast may not drop until Wednesday or Thursday next week. Doubtless, you'll get by, but I thought I'd mention it just in case. I now make the standard plea of having you rate this on iTunes if you're listening to it through there. I have it on good rumour that Santa is watching, so get some good reindeer points in early. There's also my website, ancientblogger.com, and my Twitter, at ancientblogger. So as ever, come and say hello. Till next podcast, take care and keep safe. Infamy! Infamy! They've all got it in for me!